0: What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football Bleacher Reports NFL Draft and College Football Podcast. I'm Matt Miller, your host, joined as always on a beautiful Wednesday morning by my man Connor Rogers, and we have a fun fucking show today buddy that's right man i I can't wait to fix the arizona cardinals they could use a little
1: fixing got questions circling around their front office their coaching staff all their needs they are now slotted to pick number one which seems crazy but so a lot going on with the cardinals but before we do that we have to talk about some pretty big news justin fields who was the number one quarterback recruit about a year and a half ago over Trevor Lawrence. He did surpass Trevor Lawrence. Eventually he's going to transfer out of Georgia. And this is a fascinating decision because it was interesting when he decommitted from Penn state and opted to go to Georgia when a lot of people knew already that Jake Fromm was there and Jake Fromm was entrenched as the starter, especially the kind of freshman season he had and, you know, followed it up with, with a strong sophomore year. I mean, was he the best quarterback in the country? No, but he was a damn good one. So Fields is is already out on Georgia. And the biggest question now is circling around who's in the running for him, what's the perfect fit for him, and how soon can he play? So when we look at all this, Matt, I think question number one that nobody has the answer to right now,
0: how soon can Justin Fields play? Yeah, it goes back to a, there's a lot going on here. Uh, The easy answer is he cannot play till 2020 because he's an underclassman. He would have to sit out a year. It's called a year in residence. So it would be like if he transfers to Oklahoma, he would have to sit for one year and then would be eligible to play in 2020. Now, there is a way around this, and the NCAA has actually gotten pretty lax about this. It's called a waiver. If he can say that there was a legitimate reason that he's leaving Georgia, then that would open the door for him to play immediately somewhere else. And if you guys remember, something we actually didn't cover on the show, but there was a a pitcher for the Georgia baseball team who uh, there were some racist comments made. And a lot of people are now linking Justin Fields, potentially transferring to that, saying that that might be his way into a waiver so that he could play immediately, which makes him very intriguing to teams like Oklahoma, where we expect Kyler Murray will not be playing college football next year. Ohio State where Dwayne Haskins is most likely going to enter the draft. So it is very interesting because this could put the, like you said, the number one quarterback from that very, very vaunted uh, 2018 recruiting class on the field immediately. I want to go a different direction with this, though. This is why I have a problem with all these guys, three in a row, Jacob Eason, Jake Fromm. Justin Fields. 3 times in in 3 years a top quarterback committed to Georgia. Two of them will now be gone. Why 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 would you do this? Why not commit to Penn State or maybe keep your recruiting open a little bit longer so that you actually are informed and go somewhere where you have a chance to play. I get it. You all think that you're the greatest college or greatest recruit ever. But Jake Fromm Everyone knew when he got on the field and replaced Jacob Easton, like, holy shit, this kid's very good. And he's going to be good for the next two years until he's draft eligible. Why would you go somewhere where you know you're going to have to sit behind that guy? I never have understood this. It was like 147 D1 colleges, and you got three in a row going to the same spot. My honest assumption, Matt, is that coaches lie to them. They lie oh, to yeah, them. That's, that's they convince
1: them that there's a chance they could play that, and it just protects them because quarterbacks get hurt. Let's face it. I mean, quarterbacks simply get hurt. So I know it's an assumption, and maybe it's a dangerous one. I just believe that staffs lie
0: to convince yeah, the best players to go there. It's not just Georgia, right? I mean, no, we saw no, no. Texas A&M, like uh, Kyle yeah. Allen and then Kyler Murray. Yep. Back-to-back guys. They were top quarterbacks, and neither of them finished their career there. I mean, so, l- listen to this. To Just to further
1: prove that point, this is a tweet from Jason Starrett of The Athletic. A top two quarterback recruit has transferred in every class dating to 2010. Philip Sims, Jeff Driscoll, Gunnar Keel, Max Brown, Kyle Allen, Blake Barnett, Shea Patterson, and Jacob Eason, oh my God. and then Hunter Johnson. Those guys were either the number one or number two quarterback in their recruiting class and all transferred. Yeah, and I think Blake Barnett's
0: transferred like twice. Yeah, so, so it's it, a couple in there for him.
1: It, and just to look at some of the options here, a report from Kyle Rowland said that his sources have told him that Ohio State is the front runner to land Justin Fields. Everybody in the college football world, especially connected to quarterbacks, has a high level of respect for Ryan Day. And yeah. I, I do think it's a safe bet that guys will want to go play for him. That does mean something to them. I actually think Ryan Day being the head coach is probably a big reason that Dwayne Haskins has been on the fence about declaring. Because he knows he can come back next year and dominate. Everybody's like, well, Haskins might be the third or fourth best quarterback in 2020. He should leave now. I get that, but he's going to be very, very good if he stays. So Ohio State clearly in the running. Where is your stance on where he should go
0: in all of this, though? Well, I I think if he's looking, I mean, Justin Fields is 6'3", 225 pounds. He, He is an NFL prospect because of his size athleticism, arm talent. Like he's someone that needs to be thinking about a a career in the NFL. So I think you go to Oklahoma, look what Lincoln Riley has done. And I say this as a Texas fan. I don't want this to happen, but that's where you go. If you want to have a shot at a high draft pick, especially if he can get the waiver, which means (laughs) that he could play for two years under Lincoln Riley. Now here's the big thing. Is Lincoln Riley going to be there? Is he going to be there in a month? Is he going to be there in a year? We don't know. So that I think that's the only thing that makes Oklahoma maybe a little questionable is we, we really just don't know who's going to be the coach there. And you can eliminate SEC schools. He's going to get blocked. I know some people have said he would go to Mississippi State because Joe Moorhead is there now as the head coach. He was the offensive coordinator at Penn State when Fields had committed there. So most likely he's going to be blocked from going anywhere in the SEC. So forget about Auburn. But Forget about Mississippi State. I I would think that Oklahoma's the favorite uh, based on best fit and getting him to the next level. But the Lincoln Riley question mark makes it to where you probably do look at Ryan Day and Ohio State as the best spot to come in and play right away. You know better than I do because you worked in recruiting for a while. Tate Martell is at Ohio State, though. How do they feel about him? And is it another situation where, you know, maybe Justin Fields would not walk in and be assured a starting job? Maybe there's a little bit of a competition there. Well, now I'm fascinated to see the trickle effect. With Ryan Day taking over, we don't know how Ryan Day
1: feels about Tate Martell as his starting quarterback. Tate Martell was a big deal coming out of high school. An undersized, really good runner. You know, the great attitude you look for in in that, that kind of quarterback. But in terms of a pure passer, If Ryan Day can have Justin Fields, he's going to take him. It's as simple as that. And that leads to the trickle effect that maybe Tate Martell, a guy that's expected to start within the next two years, leaves Ohio State. So this has a serious effect across college football. And if a team like Oklahoma can get Justin Fields and Lincoln Riley opts to stay because maybe the Dallas Cowboys do win the NFC East, and that sounds like the only job he would take, Oklahoma comes right into the national title hunt for the next two years if they get Justin Fields. And maybe that convinces Lincoln Riley to stay a couple more years and then go to the NFL where he can get a, a John Gruden type of deal. So it's amazing. This is a really big deal. That's what I'm saying here. This matters for so many different reasons, so many different layers. This is a guy that in high school, in Justin Fields, him and Trevor Lawrence were viewed as NFL prospects as high schoolers. I mean, when I stood next to Trevor Lawrence and saw him throw for the first time, I was like, this guy has an NFL arm and he's 17, 18 years old. I haven't stood next to Justin Fields and watched him throw yet, but everybody that's seen him, whether it's scouts that have gone through there, people that worked with him in high school say the same exact thing.
0: So who would you rather have? And I know, would you rather is usually a Friday show thing. No, no, it doesn't matter. Would you rather have Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields for the next two years? This is my exact reason. I've already seen
1: Trevor Lawrence do it. Go with what you know. Yeah, I I think Justin Fields is going to be great, a great player. But right now, I don't know that. I know Trevor Lawrence is already a great player. So what I would say is I'm not betting against either of them. I, I
0: do think both of these guys will be future top 10 picks in the NFL draft. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. The devil you know is better than the one you don't, right? And Lawrence has looked pretty damn amazing taking Clemson to that undefeated season. Fields is going to be interesting, though. I remember last summer, man, Georgia fans tell me, like, don't be so sure about Jake Fromm. He might get replaced by this incoming freshman. So we'll see. I, I am curious. I'm going to start asking around about this and I'll have an answer hopefully soon. How much of Fields' uh, unhappiness with his playtime is going to affect? Our coach is just going to be like, yeah, we don't care. We want him anyway. But you know, he's like, they asked him about his play and he was like, I handed the ball off good as fuck or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, ah, well, is that just him being upset or, you know, is there a little bit more to it? So it's going to be, but if you can get a guy like that, then I guess you probably don't care about anything else. Well, I think if you get a guy like that,
1: the assumption comes that he's going to play right away. It's not the, he's going to sit again. He's going to have to wait his turn again. And like you said, uh, so much of it comes down to the instant impact potential. Like, what if he does get the eligibility to play right away? That just changes everything in this equation. Picking first overall now in the NFL draft, they have surpassed the 49ers, the Raiders. They're, you know, somehow worse than even my Jets. The Arizona Cardinals, Matt, are now the team in line to win. Than Nick Bosa sweepstakes. But before we get into fixing this team, rebuilding this team, whether it's through the draft, whether it's through free agency and potential trades and all of that, you have to answer the pressing question.
0: Is this coaching staff and front office staying or going? That's that is right. Where do you start with this is Steve Kime. Uh, the general manager uh, was suspended to start the season because of a DUI. Uh, I don't mean to chuckle about it, but it's like, God, when your GM suspended, it's, it's a rough fucking year. And your head coach might be a one and done type guy who was never like a. it was an odd fit. Like you go from Bruce Arians, who's this like super players coach, badass offensive mind to Steve Wilkes, who's this like kind of quiet defensive coordinator. It, it, I never completely understood it, but here's what I would do. Not what I think will happen. What I would do. Gone. Clean yeah. the house. Gone. There are guys out there like Ed Dodds. There are guys out there uh, like Brian Heimerdinger. There are guys who we feel like could be very good general managers. They're young. They're going to bring an energy to this front office. It's going to be a, a, a big change for what we've seen from the Arizona Cardinals. And Steve Kime has not done a terrible job, but he was ill-prepared for the turnover of this roster from Carson Palmer and co to what you have now. And I know they got Josh Rosen, but Larry Fitzgerald is aging out. They have not capitalized on having David Johnson at running back the defense. Pat Pete's getting older. Do they have a plan there? I just think like this is one of those jobs where it's like he's completely destroyed the team, but they are drafting right now predicted to be number one overall. So obviously you haven't done a very good job. I I would look at, Cleaning house and starting over with a, a more of a dynamic combo and get someone in there. Uh, I don't, Byron Leftwich has done an okay job as offensive coordinator, but get someone in there that Josh Rosen can learn from, someone he respects, and someone who's going to know how to use a quarterback like that.
1: Yeah, I'm with you all the way here, and I think this front office made an interesting decision that ultimately was in hopes of saving their jobs, and we don't know if they did that yet. My gut is that they didn't. I do think everyone is gone here I'm very curious to see who they can bring in there like can they lure like a Nick Casario because I do think that's one of the spots where Belichick would be like okay you can go to Arizona like that does not conflict with our interest in the New England Patriots here and that stuff matters to Bill Belichick I, I don't think they can get a Josh McDaniels or someone like that so the head coaching search would be very interesting and like you alluded to a lot of that has to do with Josh Rosen but getting back to the decision that this front office made they opted to not blow things up at the trade deadline this year. And when you gauge the market, they could have got a really good return for players like Patrick Peterson, like Chandler Jones, like David Johnson. I mean, look at Chandler Jones. He, he's going to be 29 next season. He's quietly had double digit sacks for the last half decade. He's been one of the best pass rushers in the league. So the question they had to say, can we turn this thing around fast enough where guys that are getting closer to 30, like Pat Pete, like Chandler Jones, are they going to still be an impact player on this team when we rebuild the roster? So that's the conflict here. And maybe ownership looks at it and goes, okay, we do need someone to come in here, blow it up, start fresh, work within a three year window, not this one and a half, two year window. It seems to be, and really commit to Josh Rosen, somebody that they have invested in as a top 10 pick recently. So I, I think the most fascinating question is who can they go get? But at the end of the day, I don't think this staff and I don't think this front office is the right. is the right group here to do the full scale rebuild, which let's not forget the number one overall pick makes this an attractive job. Oh I my believe God, so yeah. because when you look at it, this is a team that has a lot of needs. You know, when we were building the rundown, you help punch in here, offensive line, cornerback, wide receiver, defensive line, O-line is a big one, and it makes me ask if they do pick number one, which I believe they will. Do you take Nick Bosa, who to me is far and away the best player in this draft, or do you put this thing up for sale and just get a
0: haul back with the amount of needs that they have? I think this is maybe the one team where you can have that conversation, right? If it's your Jets or my Niners or the Raiders, like, duh, you take Nick Bosa, right? But here's a team that have Chandler Jones. They have Marcus Golden. So it does make it interesting. I would float it. I would at least like get it out there and be like, hey, uh we're we would talk. Kind of like Cleveland said last year. Like, yeah, we'll listen. Call us. We'll we'll listen to anything you have. Marcus Golden is going to be a free agent after this year. So there might be an opening opposite Chandler Jones, who you mentioned is one of the best pass rushers in the entire NFL. So I think you can listen. If you don't get back that, you know, incredible haul like what the Rams gave up for Jared Goff, then you take Nick Bosa and you feel really damn good about the fact that you have Chandler Jones and Nick Bosa. But and I I think this is even a situation where like you're you're asking me if I would sell this pick. I'm not saying you trade from one to 12, but if the Niners are sitting at four and they want Nick Bosa and normally you wouldn't trade within your own division. I would listen if the Jets want Nick Bosa and I don't know. They don't have a lot of picks to, to trade me, but. Hey, how about Leonard Williams and your pick in round one to come up a couple spots? That's a conversation I would have, and the Raiders have a shit ton of picks, so you know yeah. who they can package to get up there. I think you listen and make this a seller's market where you have the number one pick, and there's one player everyone wants that you could use, but eh, it wouldn't hurt to slide back and get an Ed Oliver because what they, what they more so lack right now is that interior pass rush, so... Why not Why not trade back two, three spots? Maybe you get Ed Oliver or Quentin Williams. Those are guys that we all kind of like neck and neck. Maybe you get Jonah Williams and try to fix an offensive line that's been terrible at protecting a, a very good quarterback, but an immobile one in, in Josh Rosen. And I know their O-line's banged up, and, and just getting guys back healthy is going to help there. But they could also use more talent there. So if it's me, I'm actually selling this pick because – I I like Nick Bosa a lot. This isn't a one-year fix for the Cardinals. This is a massive rebuild where you have to start thinking about replacing Pat Fitzgerald, getting younger across the board, raising the talent level. So this is maybe that one instance where I would forego a clear-cut best player in the draft and look at trading back and getting more assets. Yeah, I don't think it's crazy at all. I I think if there's any kind of team
1: that can make the argument for doing it, it might be Arizona. Now, if they just sat there and took Nick Bosa, great. I mean, you got a great... Yeah, you're okay with that. You're okay with that. You got a great kind of franchise-changing defensive player. But if you are going to look to trade it, I might even double down here. I might look to do business with a team like the Raiders that should be picking top three, where maybe you could somehow get back an extra one. And then if Justin Herbert or Dwayne Haskins are in this draft, maybe you flip back down again and just keep stockpiling all these premium selections to where you, like you said, can take Jonah Williams and get yourself a tackle. And then you could take a wide receiver like a DK Metcalf, Kelvin Harmon, Nikhil Harry, AJ Brown, some kind of guy like that, yeah, that can help right? your quarterback. You have all of these picks to answer all of these questions, and you're filling out a team. That's the most important thing here. Kind of look at how the Colts did this, right? I mean, they're a team that they had the franchise quarterback in place, and I think that question matters. Whoever comes in here, do they have to believe Josh Rosen is the answer for the future, or will they have free reigns to do whatever they want at the position? But if they do believe he's the future, and I think he is, he just needs the right pieces and right staff, Then you can really do this thing where you're just moving back, moving back and filling starting holes with above average players across the board and with the right staff in there that can make a big difference in Arizona. So they have a lot of questions to answer. They're quietly one of the most interesting teams heading into this offseason because they should really find a way to start from scratch. And if they are going to be crazy enough to sell that number one pick, I say go all out and, and just see how crazy you can get by flipping backwards.
0: Yeah, and they have cap space too, yep. which is going to make it uh, very interesting as well. I think, and and when you look at their guys who are going to be free agents, I mean, there's some, I, I think, some easy answers of like, guys, would you sign? You know, like Larry Fitzgerald is going to be a free agent. Uh, no, I, I mean, I maybe on like a one year deal. You know, that's not a guy that you're trying to build this team around long term. You know, you're not you're, <laughs> you're not keeping you know some of these the older guys who you you look at it and like, oh man, there's there's nothing here. But by and large, this is like not a team where they have that free agent that you have to sign unless you consider Marcus Golden to be that player, which I don't necessarily think that he is. I think mean, he's a good player, but you're not you're not crying yourself to sleep tomorrow night if they don't sign him long term. So just looking at the roster of what they have, they could have 70 million dollars to go spend on key free agents, guys that they can, you know, go after, if they want to trade back, potentially go after a Frank Clark, go after a Dante Fowler and weaken an in-division opponent while also making themselves a little bit stronger. So there's a lot of directions they could go. Wide receiver, we've talked about before, not great. It's not going to be a great year on the, the market as far as getting wide receivers. So that's an area where I do think you draft. Mike Ayupati is probably their best free agent at guard, but he's 32 years old now. He's like sneaky old. So even that is a short term contract. I don't particularly love Daylon Buchanan. I think he is very scheme specific as a linebacker. And if we're talking about them cleaning house and maybe changing things over, he's a guy that I wouldn't even consider bringing back unless it's on a very low contract but he I would not pay him like a former first round pick that he is so I I look at this as okay we got a team with 70 million dollars this could be a great year uh, to like you said do like what the Colts did trade back some try to fill as many holes as you can with young safe impact players like don't break the bank for a Dominican Sue. I I probably wouldn't break the bank for a guy like Ezekiel Ansa Demarcus Lawrence who's you know, been amazing this year, but has some, some, you know, question marks in his background. I think you try to play this smart and go after, you know, guys who can be building blocks long-term instead of, you know, let's swing for the fences and hope we get a stud. And I think
1: another thing, when you talk about cat flexibility and the luxury that the Cardinals have with it, it opens or expands their horizons on the trade market. I mean, if you do move back from number one and you keep collecting all of these early picks Maybe you flip one of those early picks to get your young quarterback a wide receiver. I, yeah. What if the Bucks' new regime, assuming they will have one there, wants to flip a Mike Evans to kill his contract oh God, off yeah. the books? I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I'm saying maybe Julio Jones and the Falcons have contract problems again. Maybe you flip one of those extra picks for him. It's all about getting Josh Rosen the help he needs. And when you're a team like the Cardinals, and I know the Colts and the Jets are two other teams in this situation, money doesn't matter. You can take on salaries that most teams can't. So I, I think the the sky is the limit, truly, for this Arizona Cardinals offseason.
0: It is draft on draft time. And As we've been promising you guys, we have a loaded draft on draft show coming for you uh, Monday morning, I believe it. it will be a lot of draft on draft, some would you rather. But today we're going to get to some of your questions. Our guy, Scott Olson, first question, when scouting players, do you mainly focus on the latest year of college tape? How do you deal with a situation where a player was really good his junior year, but maybe struggled as a senior? That I think that's a great question, and there's not a foolproof answer. More times than not, scouting requires a lot of context, so you have to be aware of that, of, okay, well... Uh, say there is a guy that had a great senior year, or excuse me, a bad senior year, but a great junior year. We need to know that so that we can go back and look at that junior tape. With quarterbacks, I make a rule to watch every throw they've made in college just because of situations like this. So it, it is, it, I think, a situation where you have to be smart and you have to pay attention to you know, the notes that you take year-round on these guys and, and to be connected enough to ask and to get feedback from Coaches or teammates or scouts, so that you you can they can tell you like oh yeah well this guy you know he was hurt this year but how you should have saw him last year and those types of things can really help. I completely agree. I
1: think a good example was last year Darius Geis and I know he had the really unfortunate luck of you know having a significant knee injury in the preseason this year, but reports before that like in camp his first preseason game he was looking like the guy he was early on in his career at LSU. I remember something we heavily talked about on this podcast was that his last year at LSU, he was playing banged up and just didn't look like the same guy. He looked like a good player, but not an elite running back. And I think that stuff matters because that's how teams can miss on guys. That's how, whether it's scouts or media scouts, can miss on guys. I think it truly does matter year to year if a player is hurt or maybe a scheme change or maybe a rift with a coaching staff. I mean, even look at someone like Alvin Kamara, like, was just sitting on the bench and that's the coaching staff's fault at Tennessee because he's always been a really good player and just never made sense. And then he gets the NFL and everyone's like, how did this guy fall to the third round? It's like, well, sometimes college staffs aren't always the brightest that that does matter sometimes.
0: So it it really does. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot, so much that goes into player evaluation. And like, this is a great question because of that. It's not always just watching a guy's tape. This next one from Tyler Fornis. It's really easy to find the NFL all 22
1: film with game pass, but what is the best way to find the film for college players? I'd like to try and scout players before the draft, but finding the film is my current struggle. Uh, good luck, buddy. It's black. Um, it's, a, it's a black market. It really is. Yeah. I know it sounds crazy, but like uh, there's no real, we get this question a lot. I would say we answered at least once
0: a year. It's truly on the black market. Yeah. Big borrow and steal. That's what I always tell people. Like that's, and you would think like we work for one of the largest media companies in the U S you would think that these colleges would be, uh, you'd think I'd be swimming in tape, right? Cause they would want me to evaluate their players and Nope, Nope. They hoard this stuff. And it, and it's crazy because it's, it's not like there's this like big secret that I'm going to unearth the secret to Alabama's defense by trying to evaluate Quinn and Williams as a draft prospect. But they are incredibly protective of this to the point that I have been asked to take down clips that I've made from conferences because they're like, hey, you don't have the rights to that. And I'm like, well, the team sent it to me. Yep. Nope. Take it down. Yep. Got like, oh, Shit. Okay. So it's it's wild. There is nowhere that you're going to get tape. You might get lucky uh, on YouTube where someone just bootlegs some all-20 to and post it, but that that's... The, the honest answer is, as a, a casual observer, as a hobbyist, you're, you're just not going to get taped. So you got to try to do the best you can with what's out there. Yeah.
1: Unless you work for the NFL network or the league itself, you're not going to have a login. So you better know someone and you better, like Matt said, beg, borrow and steal. So it's as simple as that. Yeah. Or, uh,
0: yeah, I don't want to give away all my secrets. Never yeah. mind.
1: <laughs> it, it makes for a fun game. Like, yeah. I, when I say fun, I mean absolutely draining and miserable just to get your hands on tape. I mean, some schools or players you can reach out to and they'll be more than happy to send
0: it to you. But oh, yeah, some not the case. And now like schools are moving to like an XOS system. So it's not like where they used to be able to just run you off a copy and mail you a DVD. Yep. Those were the days. That shit was awesome. But that doesn't happen anymore. All right. Wilhelm von stupid. Another really <laughs> good name.
1: What could possibly fix the Panthers? They haven't won in months. What can they do in the draft or offseason to improve? I'm a Niners fan, and I'm way more op- optimistic than I'd be if I were a Panthers
0: fan. Uh, also a Niners fan. I, yeah, they're a confusing team. Uh, they've lost six in a row, which is, is wild. They're six and eight. They were six and two at one point. That's insane. Like, I think a lot of the problems you know, go to the, the fact that they've ignored the offensive line for a really long time. Um, they have also, you know, tried to skimp by at receiver. Uh, hopefully DJ Moore becomes something special. I thought they overdrafted him. Uh, we haven't really seen Devin Funches turn into anything. I mean, that whole offense is Cam Newton and Christian McCaffrey. So, you know, I, I think the good news is the strength of this draft. You might be able to get a young tight end in round two to, you know, open the offense up, you know, Greg Olson's been banged up. So, uh, I, I do think you can look at that and say, okay, well. You know, maybe we could get uh, a really, you know, like a TJ Hawkinson or a Caden Smith who would open up the offense defensively. What they've done in the secondary is almost what they've done on the offensive line. Like they've just, they don't draft guys early. And I know they got Dante Jackson in the second round and he's played, he started out amazing early in the year, but you're getting old at linebacker that you get very old at pass rush. So they've just, they've allocated money and resources to weird spots by signing guys who like Julius Peppers, like cool story. He was drafted in 2002. Dontari Poe hasn't been great. And Thomas Davis was drafted in 2005. He's still out there running around. So they're also just getting pretty old on defense.
1: Yeah. I think it goes back to what you said invest in the offensive line. And if they keep losing and keep slotting up this draft board, they're going to be a team that's connected to a guy like Yadni Kajust from West Virginia to be a yeah. franchise tackle or a really good guard. Can they get all the way up and and make a move for a Jonah Williams? Uh, you got to protect they keep losing, <laughs> yeah, keep <he> losing. <laughs> I mean, the problem is right now he's not healthy, Matt, and he does yeah. say, he comes out and says he doesn't know what's wrong with his shoulder. It, he doesn't that's look terrifying. Like, man. It's really scary, and, and I mean, we've seen this act before with how long Andrew Luck was out with the shoulder injury when quarterbacks have shoulder issues, I mean, this goes all the way back to when I was a kid and watching Chad Pennington pre and post injury, it changes everything with your arm ability. And Cam Newton is a guy that has elite arm talent, but when that shoulders banged up, he looks like a bottom five passer. So he's not healthy. Yeah. He's playing to his
0: credit. He's trying to play through it, but he's got to get right. And they're transitioning. I mean, that there's a whole new ownership group in there. So honestly, um, and I, I know we say this a lot and people maybe are, are starting to get tone deaf to it, but I think that they might need change. Ron Rivera has been there a very long time and he's gone through some seasons like this where he gets on cold streaks. The message might be getting a little bit stale. It might be time to completely shake things up now that you do have a new owner in place. I don't think it would be crazy to see them, you know, com- completely restaff at the head coach position. And then also in the front office, like Marty Herney does not inspire confidence in anyone as a general manager. So we, I, I think that's one thing to like low key, keep an eye on is maybe there's going to be some turnover here. Yeah. Without a doubt. Ownership can always
1: kind of have that effect. So chief Razorback starting at the beginning of the 2019 season, who would you rather have as your signal signal caller moving forward? Cam Newton or Josh
0: Allen? Oh, that's easy. It's Josh Allen. So, yeah, I'm on and the opposite. It, I don't think Cam Newton's better than him by any stretch of the imagination. But if I'm starting in 2019, Josh Allen's like 23 years old and I have four more cheap years. Oh, Cam so Newton you, meant, will be th- you meant that Josh
1: Allen's not better than Cam yet.
0: Right. No, okay. he's, yeah, he's okay. not better than Cam. No way. Yep. But I do think they're very similar type players. And Josh Allen's younger, cheaper and healthy. That's totally fair.
1: Totally fair. I, I think when I look at this right now, it just goes back to my go with what, you know, product. We've seen the best and the worst of Josh Allen this year. There's some marvelous throws, really really good running ability. I do have some of the concerns for him that I have for someone like Lamar Jackson is and Josh Allen fortunately has a way bigger frame, but he's been banged up too. Yeah. These guys take these hits and it's like you got to protect yourself. You have to in this league because now Cam, you can't even blame it on him because his hits are in the pocket. Yeah. Like his line just lets him down with With Josh Allen, he's running for his life out there. But with Cam, it's like, God, protect the guy. I'm confident that, and I thought when you look at what Norv Turner did with him in the beginning of this year, he got him back to that MVP level. Yeah, the ball is coming out so fast. But the wheels have kind of fallen off the bus here lately. So it's it's a matter of need somebody to consistently get Cam back to that level, get Cam help. So I, I roll with Cam, Matt rolls with Josh Allen, uh, nothing too shocking there. If you've been listening to the show for a while, that's one of the <laughs> right. many fun things about this show. All right, last question from our good buddy Roman Thomasoff: Who would you rather have to start a defense between Greedy Williams
0: or Denzel Ward? Oh man! Oh come on, man! You know your answer here. It's Denzel Ward. Hell Hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> Denzel Ward. I I don't think we got to talk about him enough last year because of the, all the quarterbacks and Saquon being fucking unreal like Denzel Ward was one of the baddest dudes in last year's class. He was so good. And I think got overlooked a little bit because he was a little bit undersized, but we both loved him. I I remember going and we've told this story a ton, going with you to the Rutgers game and just being like in love with Denzel Ward as a corner. So uh, he's he 's my dude for sure, yeah, I mean we walked by him on the
1: sideline and we 're like dude he's everyone 's talking about how light he is and how short he is, but his arms are down to the ground, and he's yeah. he 's a one bad mofo i mean and and he goes out and yeah it 's Rutgers, but the guy played his ass off, I, whether yep. it was seeing the ball, those are the things that you could scout on the field like it doesn 't matter who the hell they 're playing against. If a guy is running mir- like mirror matching everyone, turning around, and playing the ball in the air with perfect timing and elite athleticism. And just great hips. He checked every single box and. The argument was, well, he's not six one and he's not two hundred and ten pounds. It's like, well, so. he's a hell of a player and he's a number one <laughs> right. corner. I, I think we both like Greedy Williams, but I just don't see him getting nearly the same grades that Ward had.
0: No, he didn't the instincts from Tenzel Ward were just off the charts, in, in my opinion. And yeah, if it hadn't been for the quarterbacks, he would have been a top five player for me. I think he was number nine overall, uh, as it was. So, all right, that's our show for the week, man. It, it's a fun one. Uh, I am now off on vacation. I cannot wait to Same. get out of this office uh, for a couple days, but we will still be around. We have a great show coming out for you guys Friday morning, uh, and then we'll be back Monday morning, Wednesday morning, Friday morning next week. So you're not going to miss a beat as we get into the the week of Christmas. Stick to football; will be here to get you through it all. So for Connor, I'm Matt, and we will talk to you all next week.